0: Hello listeners, this is Chris Miller, co-host of your all-time favorite podcast, Thieves, Rogues, and Renegades. If you like what you hear and you want to lend your support, please go to patreon.com slash trrpod, and for as little as $1 a month, you can receive early access to new episodes as well as exclusive bonus content. That's right, it's a dollar. Come on, you have that much money right now in that weird little gap between your driver's seat and your center console. It's probably rattling around in the dryer right now. If you have a dog, there's a good chance that it has eaten that much change at least once in its life. So for your beloved pet's sake, consider going to patreon.com slash trrpod and giving us that dollar instead. Your dog will thank you, and so will I. And now, on with the show. happens when you combine a love of swords and archery, a distinct affection for the Scottish aesthetic, a hatred of Nazis, a passion for model warships, and a dogged determination to make sure that everyone else around you adjusts to your eccentric behavior rather than the other way around. In my house, that's called Thursday. But it also embodies a man whose real obituary, according to one newspaper, was stranger than any fictional effort. From These Rogues and Renegades, I'm Rob North, and this is your extra ration of Mad Jack Churchill. Born in British Ceylon, what's now Sri Lanka, on September 19th, 1906, John Malcolm Thorpe Fleming Churchill was the son of an engineer and highly ranked public works director, and it's really no surprise that he ended up truly embodying the aristocratic-leaning adventurer spirit that the colonial administration tried like hell to engender in its own people. Growing up in exotic lands far away from old Blighty, first in Sri Lanka, then India, then Hong Kong, Young John would have spent much of his time surrounded by military officers and would have read his Kipling, heard tales of daring do in colonial conflicts, and would have seen just how much dedication to king and country, paired with just a little bit of outsized character, could get you pretty far in life. So after returning with his family to Surrey and being educated at King William's College and Oxfordshire's famed Dragon School, I swear I'm not making that name up, it's no surprise that young Jack decided that soldiering was for him. And at the age of 17, he enrolled at the Royal Military Academy at Sandhurst, Britain's equivalent to West Point. Upon his graduation in 1926, he was commissioned as a lieutenant in the 1st Battalion of the Manchester Regiment and was posted to the British colony of Burma, what's now Myanmar. Now this was peacetime colonial garrison service, so Churchill and the rest of the Manchester spent some of their time training or on patrol showing the flag, but most of their time was spent trying to figure out what the hell to do with themselves when they weren't training or on patrol showing the flag. Given that he had some time on his hands, and I'm guessing because the internet connection at the time wasn't all that stellar, Churchill decided to bend the ear of a good buddy of his from the Officers Club in Rangoon. This friend happened to be the pipe major of one of the other garrison units in Burma, the Queen's own Cameron Highlanders. And Jack Churchill thought it would be just swell if he could learn how to play the bagpipes. When someone's good at the pipes, it can be impressive, and it makes the humble narr- this humble narrator long for the old Kragseheim. But when someone's new at it, it it's a different prospect. For most people in this setting, the process of learning this particular instrument probably tended to involve a patchwork of British regional accents, yelling a lot of sentences involving the phrase, fucking bagpipes. But it turns out that young Jack was quite a quick study and got good fast, because if he didn't, the words, let's frag the lieutenant, would have definitely come up. Jack also passed the time by buying a Zenith motorcycle and taking it on road trips around every part of South Asia he had uh, the leave to reach, as well as buying up a small speedboat and taking it on adventures up the Irrawaddy River at high speeds much to the consternation of the locals. These adventures were almost the end of him, though, as on one road trip in 1934, the now-captain Churchill came around to bend on his bike, only to run at full speed into the side of a fully-grown water buffalo. The bike was trashed, Churchill was thrown a fair distance and knocked ass over tea kettle, and the water buffalo just got pissed off. It turned its tender affections to Churchill and immediately attempted to chase down and trample him, and Churchill did the sensible thing climbed the nearest tree that was too thick for the buffalo to knock over, and stayed up there for more than three hours until the buffalo decided he no longer had to die. By 1936, budget cuts meant that army life may not be a long-term solution, and it looked like Jack Churchill might take the route of thousands of young British military officers in peacetime, do your stint in the service, and use it as a springboard to get a job at the foreign office or at a newspaper or some other such thing. Churchill decided to break that mold by taking a job at a newspaper in Nairobi. That gig didn't really take; it wasn't really for him. So he returned to England and decided to do to go on a grand European tour with a couple old army buddies. Right as things were starting to take a whole vibe of, "Wow, this Hitler fellow really wants to take more land, huh?" Now this long vacation allowed Jack to get an, uh, to return to an old love, archery. It was common; en- it was a common enough sport, and he'd been good at it enough to get a spot on the school team. But once he took it back up, he found he was really good at it. Once he returned to his, from his grand tour, he used this skill to his advantage, shooting competitively, and he managed to get himself roles in some of the biggest films of the 1930s, including The Thief of Baghdad and A Yank at Oxford. Remember, dear listeners, never neglect the special skills section of your resume. Churchill even represented Great Britain in the 1939 World Archery Championships in Oslo, Norway. And the year before, he had placed second overall in the piping competition in the 1938 Aldershot Military Tattoo which was essentially the Oscars of the British military bagpiping community. While it seemed like Churchill was really enjoying civilian life, the specter of war loomed. After Britain declared war on Germany in September of 1939, and the British military had a big collective oh shit moment, Churchill was asked if he wouldn't awfully mind taking a commission as a military officer once again in his old regiment. Churchill, excited at the prospect of finally seeing some real action, readily agreed, and after taking a commission as a major, he showed up to join the Manchester Regiment in France in spring of 1940, He arrived with everything he was supposed to need, his sidearm, helmet, field glasses, webbing, boots, fatigues, but he also showed up with a few more extra pieces of equipment. He had with him a set of bagpipes, a common enough sight in a lot of British Army units, but the Manchesters didn't have, nor had they ever, had pipers. He also had a sword on his belt, which, while still to this day a part of dress uniforms, had not been a required part of British Army combat kit since 1897. Still, the army was full of former cavalry officers who liked the dash of a cavalry saber, but this wasn't a thin-bladed dress sword. New no, Churchill had showed up to a war zone carrying a claymore, a massive sword with a basket hilt, a three-and-a-half-foot heavily weighted blade, and a razor-sharp edge capable of splitting a man's head in two, the sort of weapon favored by Jacobite Highlanders for breaking up lines of bayonets. The Men who served with them would later quote him as saying, any officer who goes into action without a sword is improperly dressed. However, the final article really drew attention away from the big-ass sword, because Churchill had showed up to fight the Second World War with... a bow. And not just any bow. In the great English tradition of being English, Churchill rolled up to fight the Nazis carrying a -a five-and-a-half-foot medieval longbow, complete with a quiver full of arrows. Now, evidently hoping that the German attack would take the form of a Battle of Agincourt reenactment, Churchill's hopes were soon dashed as the the Wehrmacht's Blitzkrieg offensive smashed the British and French back. Left in charge of a small force covering a retreat... Churchill was near a machine gun post when an advanced patrol of five Germans appeared. Not wanting to chance them getting away, the machine gun prepared to open fire, but Churchill, one assumes clicking his tongue at such a 20th century method of waging war, snuck along a hedgerow, drawing his bow. Knocking an arrow, he let fly, striking the lead German through the neck, and thereby claiming the only confirmed bow and arrow kill of the Second World War, before the machine gun team opened up and gunned down the other Germans. Later wounded in action twice, Churchill would be evacuated with his unit at Dunkirk and returned to the UK. Faced with the possibility of losing the war, Churchill did the only thing a man in his situation could do. Having heard of a new force of volunteers being put together to launch the most dangerous raiding missions, Churchill thought, that sounds perfect. And on the day after his wedding, he joined one of the battalions of the great precursor to today's modern spec ops troops. Churchill had joined the commandos. Now taking part in the ironically named Operation Archery... Churchill led a force of commandos against German facilities on a series of Norwegian islands at the end of 1941. In an attack that called for stealth and guile, Churchill instead opted to lead his men into the fight while playing the bagpipes at full blast and letting loose repeated shouts of COMMANDO! Only to switch over to waving a big-ass sword to get everyone's attention once the combat got too loud. He would be injured twice in that operation, once when he threw a demolition charge into a building that was way bigger than it needed to be and knocked the wall Churchill was sheltering against over onto him, and again when a mortar blast burst a bottle of wine that Churchill had just liberated, showering him with shards of glass. The operation, despite Churchill's unconventional means of leadership, was a complete success and earned Churchill a promotion to commander of the 2nd Commando Battalion. Now, No record exists of him trying to use his longbow in this operation, but fellow commandos say he definitely brought it along. Now, leading second commando into the invasions of Sicily and mainland Italy, Churchill kept up his usual methods of flashing sword and scurling pipe and led his unit on a series of operations that were hugely successful and crucial to the overall victory. But one moment outside of Salerno really stands out. One night, Churchill went out into the dark accompanied by just one other commando, hoping they might run into a German or two to capture for intelligence. They did. Spotting two figures smoking in the darkness, Mad Jack snuck up and, with his sword at the throat of one of the Germans, convinced both to surrender. Keeping his sword out and using those two as human shields, Churchill went from foxhole to foxhole in the area, surprising and capturing a whole platoon of 42 German soldiers, including several heavy weapons. Making them carry their heavy equipment out of the battle area, he marched them back to his camp, handing out cigarettes and making a conscious effort to improve their mood, greeting the captured Germans with handshakes, backslaps, and singing "Lily Marlena to keep them compliant. Churchill's legend was cemented. His unit's next assignment in 1944 was a deployment to assist Yugoslav partisans under Marshal Tito in their efforts against occupying Germans, but a raid that Churchill led went disastrously wrong. His unit suffered heavy losses and, wounded by a mortar shell, Jack Churchill had to be left behind and was taken into German captivity. Mad Jack... well, mad jacked the whole experience by becoming fast friends with the German officer who commanded the POW camp. A man known for treating his prisoners with kindness and respect, and it was letters from Churchill in this officer's possession that would later save the man's life from Yugoslav reprisals. Now, based on a false belief that Churchill was related to Winston Churchill, he was transferred to a far more sec- the far more secure Sachsenhausen concentration camp, which he did not enjoy, probably because the commandant there was far less of a cool dude to hang out with. In September of '44. Jack Churchill went full great escape and with 13 others made his way out of a secretly dug tunnel and escaped into the night. However, his recent injuries were slowing him down and he was recaptured a few days later and transferred to another camp in Austria where he languished for several more months until a power outage killed the electric fence and searchlights. Wasting no time, Jack Churchill donned his coat and shoes and, after crawling through the dead electric fence silently, once again disappeared into the night. This time, he was quicker on his feet and swiftly made his way across the Italian border where he made contact with an American recon unit and was safely welcomed back into Allied arms right before Hitler met his ends at the hand of Hitler. With the Germans having surrendered, Churchill returned home and was offered a well-deserved demobilization, which he took. I'm, I'm kidding. He insisted on an immediate transfer to go fight the Japanese in Burma. However, while in transit in India, he got word that two atomic bombs had ended that prospect. A fellow officer quotes Churchill as having said, "...a damned shame." If it wasn't for those fucking Yanks, we could have bloody well kept the war going for another 10 years. So Jack Churchill decided it was time for a break, and he spent that break getting qualified in jump school and earning his wings as a member of the Parachute Battalion, making his first jump on his 40th birthday. He also requested and was granted another transfer, becoming the commander of the Seaforth Highlanders, a Scottish regiment. A friend who saw Churchill in the Seaforth's full Highland dress uniform, tartan and all, said he had never seen Mad Jack so happy. Churchill then spent time in what's now Israel as part of a peacekeeping force meant to stop fighting between Arab and Jewish regular forces, and while they were unsuccessful overall, Churchill did lead an effort that saved a hospital from oncoming Arab forces, rescuing over 500 patients and staff. He would go on to become a military instructor both in England and in Australia, where in his late 40s, he took up the art of surfing. Finally, Mad Jack Churchill left the army in 1959 for good. But that doesn't mean he slowed down at all. In civilian life, in his later years, he would shoot arrows and play bagpipes in several more movies, surf the tidal rivers of England, make and sell his own surfboards, build remote-controlled model warships to fight mock battles on ponds, and take part in motorcycle speed trials. He became a car-carrying member of the Explorers Club, and well into his 70s, he took part in arctic research voyages. But my favorite thing he would do later in life was his habit of, on his daily train journey home from London, stand up, open a window, and hurl his briefcase out said window, startling passengers and train staff alike. Only once the police became involved did he explain that, always, that he always did so at the same spot, because the rail line went right past his backyard, and he would throw his briefcase from the train into his own back garden so that he didn't have to carry it on his walk home from the station. On December 21st, 1996, Mad Jack Churchill passed away peacefully at the age of 90 at his home in Surrey. In his military career, he had won the Distinguished Service Order twice, the Military Cross twice, having seen combat in five different operational areas. Churchill managed to blend the weapons of the old days with a revolutionary new style of military operations. He was an adventurer, a raconteur, and someone who always said, you know what, let's see where this goes. Mad Jack's life and times left us with the greatest gift a team like ours can get, and that's one hell of a good story. And for that, we at the TRR team salute you, sir. Thanks for listening to this Thieves, Rogues, and Renegades Extra Ration. I've been your host, Rob North. Please listen to all of our episodes wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to follow us on social media, you can find us on Instagram at trrpod, on Twitter at podcasttrr, or search on Facebook under Thieves, Rogues, and Renegades. If you have any episode suggestions, feedback, corrections, or protestations on the innocence of Lee Harvey Oswald, send us an email at trrpod at gmail.com. And for access to early episode releases, exclusive content, and other goodies, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash trrpod. We'll see you next time, and until then, as always, hold fast. Commando!